0: at gracekettering.org thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode if you had been in the crowd that welcomed jesus into jerusalem last sunday we call it palm sunday or the triumphal entry right if you had been inside of that crowd uh, you would have been overcome with the just the the emotion of that day oftentimes we think and we might even hear some preachers sometimes say, uh, you know, that was a fickle crowd. But the Bible says that there were were disciples in that crowd. There were followers of Jesus inside of that crowd. And there's no way for us to know that every single person that uh, welcomed him in saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, that every single person in that crowd was uh, not not a true believer and, and were even a part of what the religious leaders did later on. So Jesus Jesus came into uh, to that crowd in with much uh, much triumph as a conquering king. He he came in in uh, in great great glory and and not in the way that he came in and riding the the young donkey, but in in the. In the welcome that he received, he received a, just a beautiful welcome on that day. People were even putting down their own coats. They were taking off their own clothing. I don't know that too many of us would be willing to do such a thing, take off our own, clo- uh, our own coats and clothing and let an animal walk over. They, they so respected Jesus on that day that that's what they did. They, they, they honored him and they welcomed him in. The praise was so intense that the religious leaders the Pharisees the Sadducees the chief priests etc they they actually came to Jesus and said you need to stop all these people from praising you from worshiping you by the way the Bible tells us we're only to worship God right we're only to worship him yet Jesus on that day even received the worship as he did so many other times throughout the Gospels and so the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, all the religious elites, as we'd like to call them, these are people who had rejected Jesus and were stubborn in the rejection of Jesus. They were not believers. They were not uh, followers of Jesus Christ. They, they followed after religion, their own system of works to, to, and self-righteousness to, to, to uh, declare their own goodness before God, but they did not have faith in, in Jesus Christ. And so they said, you stop them. You stop them. And Jesus said something very interesting. If, you, if they stop praising me, the rocks, the stones are going to cry out. Even the stones, even God's creation realized and would, would come to the aid of Christ in worshiping him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They, even creation recognized who Jesus was. It's interesting, three days later, these religious elites rush a trial. They are so angry at Jesus. He's come in and he's turned over the tables in, in the temple. In fact, he exposed their greed and their money-making scheme. By the way, a lot of corruption centers around power and money. And that's exactly what these guys had. So he exposes in the temple. They have this whole shysty business of, of having this, this uh, this, this, uh currency exchange in the temple you come in and you exchange your temple they're robbing people blind and so he exposes all that and he, he declares he says listen my house isn't to be a house of thieves it's to be a house of prayer so they're really upset they need someone to betray them but they're really upset and so they rushed his trial judas you you know is a part of the betrayal one of jesus 12 he's a part of the betrayal and they rushed this this trial they bring accusations in fact they brought accusations they brought witnesses together that couldn't even agree, the Bible tells us, in the book of Matthew, it's, it's, or in the book of Mark, chapter 14, 56, very interesting, they brought them all together, they couldn't even agree, but yet the trial still went on, interesting. Pilate, the ruler at that time, finally caved into the pressure, okay, I'm just going to give the death sentence, wash my hands of this, give the death sentence, and we're going to be done with this. So Jesus is, is marched towards Golgotha, the place of the, the skull. On the way to the Calvary, as we as we know it, Golgotha, a large crowd, perhaps some of those that had welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, began to follow him afar off and mourn. So much so that, in their cultural way, they began beating on their chest, mourning. The Bible specifically says there were many women that were a part of that crowd as well. So men and women together, a large crowd, was mourning. What was happening to him can you imagine being in that crowd like the 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 whiplash the emotional whiplash of that day go from here he is this man that's done miracles all around the area this man that has touched our lives he's healed some of our relatives and our friends and yet how how's he going to the cross now we understand the book of acts says this this is this is by the, 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 the uh, will of man and also the determinate counsel of God, it, it, it came together. The free will of man uh, hating on Jesus and despising him and, and rushing this trial, but yet this was all in God's perfect plan and somehow they blend together. But I can just imagine sitting in that crowd or being, you know, walking with some of those mourners and, and hearing them ask, How could God allow such evil to happen? And that's not far different than the question we often hear humanity still ask today. How can God allow such evil and wrong to happen in our world? Have you heard people ask that question? How? Oftentimes people want to put the blame on God. Like he's the author of evil, the author of sin. You know, we look around we see wars and rapes and diseases. We see so many things that are just unconscionable in our in our own society and unruliness and a riotousness. You, you might not have heard it, but it, even over the, the course of this the course of this uh, past week there's been five different state houses that have been broken into by by very righteous crowds. It just it just it, it depicts kind of the, the temperament of our times. It's just it, this, okay, we're not getting our way, so we're just going to be mad about it. We're going we're prove to prove it. We're going to show it. Think about the rule of law and the questioning of the rule of law. We think about those in high office and marital infidelity leading to very, very crazy and unprecedented events and trials. People sometimes get nervous which side I'm on. If we take the Bible side, we can, we can, we can we can fall we can fall pretty easy. We can find where we are pretty easy. But I'm just saying there's some really crazy things happening. And I stop by how can God allow such evil, such wrong to happen? It seems like society's coming unraveled and I feel a little bit like a broken record because that's what we live in. we we like a tea bag. We steep in the society day in and day out. And we're like, what is going on? I heard this, this, this week in a talk show host locally uh, the encouragement for parents to tell white lies. Like, it's, it's okay. It's all right if you tell white lies. In fact, call in and let us know which white lies you tell your parents. Like, yay, this is good news that's gone across even across the country the whole thing that happened at the green on monday night at the egg hunt just kind of the a free-for-all so much so that the green says hey we're not doing eggs anymore if the parents can't listen the children can't listen we're not doing this anymore kind of a sense of unruliness so nationally locally you you look around like what in the world's going on why does god allow evil and wrong to happen in our society?" I have to look inside and, and realize internally we got our own struggles. I mean, you think about the struggles that we face on a, on a, on a daily basis, pride that we hide behind. Sometimes we, 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 we put up a, a front to say, uh, I don't want anyone to know what's going on inside. The, this pride that we have to keep up, yet God says he hates pride. And yet we struggle with it so severely. outburst of anger. Anger. You know what, most times people that burst out in anger half hour later are asking themselves inside, Why did I do that? It's a struggle. Why, God? Eternal warring with lust. We live in a lustful society and in this internal battle that's going on. And again, after the fact, there's this, this, this questioning why, God? Lying to get by than lying to keep up with the lies that we've told. We can either blame God for this and blame God and say, he's he's the reason all the evil around us happens and all this evil that we see. Or we can recognize that God has come to give the answer to that, to give us a satisfaction to our dissatisfaction. And want to real, I want us to realize all around the world uh, there is as as we look at at the way that society is as, as we look at the the environment in which we live, there is a thirst that is created inside the heart of man. I want something more I want a change i want I want something to satisfy this empty this empty pursuit of the emptiness of the uh, of life this 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 constant pursuit of of getting to what I thought I wanted and it not being enough. There's a thirst. There's a thirst. It's interesting, all the way throughout Scripture, there is a constant invitation from God, from Jesus Christ, to have your thirst satisfied. You go back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55, Ho, everyone that is thirsty, come to the waters. And he that hath no money, come and buy and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk, and without money and without price. God's saying, come, get satisfied. He said that in the Old Testament. People oftentimes say the Old Testament's all about, it's not graceful. No, God is very graceful. He's still the same invitation. Come, find satisfaction in me. Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. What did he say to her? I I I have I have something to give you, and if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never you'll never thirst again. Well, he knew who he was talking to. He's talking to a woman that lived with many regrets, broken relationships, probably probably rejected multiple times by the men that had been in her life. You know how how bad relationship issues hurt. You all with me on that? Right? Here's a woman and you say, well, she was a woman that had five husbands and there's a lot of it. No, 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 no. Think about the pain behind that story. And yet Jesus there did not condemn her. He, he announced the truth and he said, if, if you drink of the water that I give to you, you'll never thirst again. Wow. You mean I could finally be satisfied? I could finally get to the point where I could just rest? Yes, yes. That's what Jesus was offering her. Jesus, probably about nine months before he went to the cross, he went up into the temple, and there was a high holy day. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It's, it's the passage from which we get our year's theme, inside out, living out a relationship with Christ. But here's this verse, John 7 and verse 37. If any man thirst. Now, what's interesting about that is they were having a festival that used a lot of water. They they were actually they would trumpet the bringing of water from the pool of Siloam all the way up to the, the, to the, the temple and pour out the water on the altar. And it was, it was to typify what happened in the, the desert with Moses and the people of Israel getting water out of the rock. And so it was a beautiful, a beautiful celebration. And so as they're carrying day after day, seven days, they're carrying all this water... Up to the the temple, it's quite a walk up there. Jesus stops on the eighth day and he says, hold up, I want everyone, I want everyone to listen. You've had this big celebration with a whole lot of water being poured out everywhere and and you're gonna go home the next day very, very unsatisfied. Your spiritual thirst is not gonna be satisfied. You've missed the whole point of this. And he says this, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth, he that believeth on me, as the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And here's what Jesus is saying, if you'll come to me and you drink of me, if you'll believe on me, I will satisfy you and I'll make you the satisfaction of others all around you. That's something only God can do. Every one of us has a desire to help our fellow man. The greatest help that we can be our fellow man is to be a channel from Jesus to them. And so here Jesus is inviting, is anyone thirsty here? Is anyone thirsty? You come and drink of me. Wait a minute, we're at the temple, we've been here, we've been celebrating, we're in church, we have our, we've listened to scripture, we've, we've sung, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink of me. You can go to every church on the globe and not find satisfaction until you come to Jesus Christ himself and find satisfaction in him. Just being in a church service does not make you satisfied. I mean, I think we could all attest to that, Right? All right, now don't be sleeping on me. If I, if, <laughs> I'll just get you up and we'll, we'll uh, do, a, do a lap around the church to get a wear off that breakfast. But, but the reality is we've all, we've all been in religious environments that did not satisfy. And the only satisfaction Jesus is saying, if you'll come and drink of me, I will satisfy you. That's his, that's his, his promise. So that leads me all the way to this. Jesus, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, made a way for you and I to be satisfied. He made a way for us to be totally satisfied. What we're celebrating today is not just a historical event. We are literally celebrating the means by which God planned for you to be redeemed and saved in a moment, but for your lifetime satisfied. Now, you know what? You You can put up, you know, kind of a wall and say, you know what, I'm doing just fine. I got peace, I'm fine. But until you have found Jesus Christ and have accepted him as your personal savior in the deepness of your heart, you're not satisfied. You buy and it doesn't satisfy. You get something new, it doesn't satisfy. You get that promotion, it doesn't satisfy. It can't. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart and the reality, only God can fill that. You were created for a relationship with God. Sin separated, we'll see in a moment. But until you come to grips with only Jesus can satisfy, you'll not be satisfied. And so what I want us to do is realize that Jesus doesn't have compartmentalized messages. The Old Testament's one thing, the New Testament's one thing, and then later on it's another thing. I want you to realize the whole Bible comes together to invite us to find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And that's why you're at Revelation chapter number 21. Because the final declarations from the throne of the risen Lamb is nothing but an invitation an invitation for all humanity, for you, for your neighbors, for your family for all of of creation to find satisfaction in him. And so I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 8, and I want you to pick up on what Jesus is saying, and then we'll conclude in Revelation chapter number 22, where again we hear the same same exact invitation that we heard all the way back in Isaiah. What a wonderful God we serve. This was written in about 90 A.D., so about about, uh, 60 years after Jesus walked on earth the apostle john wrote this down as he heard it from god as he he penned it down as god gave it to him and so i want you to catch a hold of this revelation 21 say amen if you're there all right revelation 21 and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea by the way everything that we have in this world today just realize at some point it's going to go away right it's temporal everything you buy today ends up in a junkyard somewhere right visit the trash the trash you know transfer station you realize everything everything nice and bright and shiny and techy it, it it eventually goes there okay and so here he tells us it's all going to pass away but verse number 2 and i john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down from god out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Read verse 4 out loud together with me. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow no crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and how many just shout hallelujah Hallelujah. praise the lord for that man what a day that's going to be verse number five and he that sat upon the throne said behold i make all things new and he said unto me that's john right For these words are faithful and true. Do you know why God said right? Because he wanted you in 2023 to have it. This isn't just some religious exercise. He wanted you to have this revealed truth about himself. Verse number six, and he said unto me, it is done. I am alpha and omega, or A and Z is the idea. The beginning and the end I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely he that overcometh shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he shall be my son but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death I want to underscore what Jesus said there in verse number number six. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely, freely. Let's again just ask God to open our hearts to his word. And I want to share a couple points with you, several points with you, and I hope that there'll be a help. Father, we've just read your word. We hear this invitation that you're giving, yet an invitation can be heard all day long unless it's received personally. It doesn't make a difference. Lord, I pray for believers and unbelievers alike that each one of us would hear the invitation from yourself to to find our full satisfaction in you. And pray that you would just hush our hearts right now in these moments and that your word would have full sway in our lives, that we'd submit to it. Bless the children as they learn from your truth today. I pray that you would help them, help them to understand who you are and what you've done on them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. want us to realize, as we saw there in verse number two and three, that there is a, a new everything coming. I know that's probably not the best English, but I just want to underscore the reality. Everything is going to be made new. Everything. I mean, God just, He just. Wrote that out for us and I don't know uh, coming from the throne of the risen lamb if you go over to chapter number 22 and verse number uh, uh, verse number uh, One and he showed me a a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the lamb And just think that this declaration in uh, chapter number 21 is coming from where Jesus Christ sits He's not on the cross. He's not in the in the tomb. He's at the throne and he declares, hey, I make all things new. A new everything is certainly uh, indeed coming. A, a restored relationship. A sto- restored relationship with the Creator. You know, you and I were created in holiness. Complete holiness. No sin. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, when they were placed in the garden, uh, and I say you and I were created, it, it, I'm meaning mankind we were created without without the understanding of what it what it was to what it was sin. We, there would be temptation, but there was there was no sin. And there was perfect, there was a perfect relationship with Jesus. There was a perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the cool of the day with God. They had a relationship with Him. When they sinned, God came looking for them. There was a relationship. Well, the reality is here in Revelation 21, as the close of the Bible. We find that God is is looking and will restore, make new this relationship. It it will be a recreated relationship with our creator. Sin separates us, Isaiah 59. But your sins, uh, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not, he will not hear you. The reality is that our sin today separates us from a holy God. We have to realize that. We have to get a hold of that. As, as, as wide as the Grand Canyon and wider, our sins have separated us from God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and we like to look around us and say, there's a bunch of evil that goes on. There's a bunch of sin out there that goes on. Why does God allow this to happen? Mankind is sinful. The evil and the wickedness and the, the, the mayhem that we see going on around us in the world is not God's fault. It doesn't come from the heart of God. It stems from the sinfulness of man. And it's just like man to blame shift, just like they did in the garden. Well, hold up, let's take a case against God. And that's wrong. There will be people who 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 will face a godless eternity because they spent their whole life saying, why does God allow this bad stuff to happen? Never realizing, I'm a part of this problem. I'm a sinner. Every single one of us has to come to that point. So bad things happen, not from the heart of God. Now, God is is not a dictator. He allows things to, to go on. He allows men to have free will, and we see that all around. When men forget God, oh, what a mess they make. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It changes everything when man embraces God. Oh, woe be to the nation or the people group or to the family or to the person that forgets God. This relationship would be restored. The Bible says here that God would dwell with them. He would take up residence. He would set up a residence. I like the sound of that. That he would would want to dwell with me his creation, but that's what's going to be restored. And the willing delight of our creator is to dwell with his creation, to make all things new, to take away what is so bad and make all things new. Why wouldn't we believe on him? He says that every tear is going to be erased in verse number four. Every reason for sorrow will be no more. There'll be no more tears. John, there's, there's no better way of like, looking at it. It's how can I describe this? How can I describe the glories of heaven in the new Jerusalem? Well, it's just going to be no more of what we, we've known. It's, it's going to all be gone. There's going, to be no more, there's going to be no more tears. God himself is going to wipe them away. There's going to be no more death. And the departure from life, the, the spirit from the body, there's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. No weeping, no mourning. How many of you like this one? No more Pain. Pain. Can you imagine a life without pain? Emotional, physical, spiritual. Can you imagine a life without pain? No more pain. Gone. He says the former things, the things we used to know, passed away. That's what God's going to do. He's going to make everything new the curse of sin, separation from God, the hardness of life. The tempter, as we sing, will be banished. He won't be present anymore. Can you imagine a life without temptation? Oh, my. All the evil that surrounds us, no more. Revelation 22 and 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Just total, total fellowship and service to our creator. Willing service. Wow. He'll make all things new. He says in verse number 5, all things all that was lost through sin would be restored beyond our imaginations. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian believers, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. God is literally saying, you, 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 can't, even, you can't even dream. You can't even imagine what I've prepared for you. You can't even, you can't, in, in your, your most wonderful dreams, you cannot come up with what <laughs> heaven's gonna be like. People ask, well, will, you know, will this be there in heaven? Will I know this person in heaven? Friends, it's all going to pale in comparison. When you when you when you get to see Jesus face to face and see in his hands and his feet still the scars that were that were suffered for your redemption, it's all gonna pale. Every single thing that we hold dear to in this life, it's, it, it's just going to pale in comparison to that. It'll all be made new and we'll be in, that, in the presence of that for all of eternity. And Jesus has even promised to the disciples they were worried about him going away in John chapter 14. He said, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. I, and if it were not so, I, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Who's that? Believers. And if I go to prepare a place, I I will come again and, and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. What a promise. You can walk into, without having to boast yourself, without having to prove yourself righteousness without having to be a lawyer in front of God and say, this is the reason I should be here, you can walk through the gates of heaven on the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ, and enjoy everything made new. That's what he's offering to us. I'm telling you what, if you have that in your heart, if you have that knowledge in your heart, you're truly satisfied. And the reality is, you and I can stray from that. That's why I'm t- talking to believers and unbelievers alike. We can stray from that. I can, I can look back to periods of my life where I just I, I did not love Jesus as I ought to. And still, it's a growing process, Right? any any believers with me on that it's a growing daily process but the reality is if we don't daily come back to that and just sit there and drink of the water of life freely and enjoy what he's given to us we find ourselves dissatisfied he's saying i'm i'm gonna make all things new that makes my heart hunger for heaven sometimes I feel like as Americans, describing heaven is like, well, the ads show us a pretty glitzy life here. This is pretty awesome. You know, we have everything we need here. Friends, I I would that believers, that you and I as believers, would really get a hunger for heaven. The things that we have, the blessings we have, the temporal blessings we have here, they're not... They're not to be compared to what is there. Living for these things, it's it's not to be. Someone say amen, or I'll just stop right there and we'll just we'll just (laughs) we need we need God. We need Jesus to help us to realize. Well, what does the song say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need a little bit of turning today. You might have walked in here and and this might not be your thing. I'm glad you're here. The reality is what you're seeking, you'll never find in one church service a year. You'll never find an even every church service unless you find it in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, "I'm making all things new, and I want you to be a part of it." Now let's, let's move on. In verse number six and seven, here's what Jesus he's described what heaven's going to be like, and you can read the rest of chapter 22 and find out more. But he's described what heaven's going to be like, and here's the invitation that he gives. In verse six and seven, he says, "It's done." And then he says, I will, I will. This is is my desire. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. When I look at all the craziness of this world and I think about the glories of heaven, that makes my heart thirst. It makes me want that change. And I hope it makes you want that change too. I hope it makes you long for a day when, 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 sickness and pain and the curse and the hardness of life and the, and the evil that surrounds, uh, surrounds and, and that we find within will be, will be gone. I, I hope there's a thirst in your heart for that. And Jesus says, if there is, if you'll come to me, I'll, I'll give you living water. I'll give it to you so very freely. And notice what he says in verse number six. He said, it is done. Does that remind you of what was said back in John 19 and verse number 30 when Jesus was on the cross? He said, it is done finished. The work of redemption, he, he declares once again here, God the Father declares, hey, it is done. Everything that I needed to do in order for man to be reconciled to me and find satisfaction to me, it is done. And it's not just some man saying that, it is God Almighty, our Creator, saying that, the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, the One who sits upon the throne, He has the authority to say that. It's done. It's done. You don't need a Work more for it. You don't need to go through rituals and religious rituals. You don't need to go through seven-day festivals in order to to achieve that. You don't need to boast in your self-righteousness. You simply need to come to the water of life and drink of it freely. It's there. It's ready for the taking. It's exactly what Jesus told them on the Temple Mount. Come and drink. And when you do, you'll be so satisfied it'll overflow out of you. Come and drink. True satisfaction comes from believing in Jesus. Those who are thirsty, those who are thirsty are promised that if they'll just come and drink, they'll be satisfied. I give you the same invitation. If you'll just come and drink of Jesus, say oh, I've tried it before. Listen, if you've if you've tried, tried Jesus and walked away dissatisfied, you were not speaking to the Bible Jesus. Jesus will absolutely satisfy you. And I urge you to give him a try. Put aside all the, the rituals maybe that you learned in your, your upbringing. Put aside what other, other believers have said. You get alone in this book, open up the book of John and say, Jesus, I just want to know you. You'll find a Jesus. It, it's indescribable. I was just talking this past week to a, to a person who's recently received Jesus Christ. And without, without prodding them, just in conversation, their statement was all of this referring to salvation accepting him, reading his word all of this has filled a hole in my life completely filled a hole in my life and what was so special to me about that is that is exactly what jesus will do you, people try to put it with you know fill it with relationships and and more money and more things and, and, you know, kind of controlling circumstances around or becoming a, you know, a warrior for something. They try to fill it with so many things. Nothing satisfies until we found Jesus. And your answer too will be, he filled a hole in my heart. I didn't realize how big of a hole it was until Jesus filled that hole. What a blessed thing it is. Jesus says, if you will come to me, I will satisfy you completely. And also in verse number seven, he says, those that believe and receive me, they're the overcomers. Look at verse number seven. He says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. Everything that God says I've made new, you'll have it. It's yours. You'll have a part in it. It's not for some elite, group of people, for a very special group of people, for some group of elect. It's for all that will come to him and believe on him. It says you'll be an overcomer. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4 just tells us that those that believe on Jesus are the ones that overcome the world. Those that believe. All true believers are overcomers. Truly. Now, we don't always act like it. Why? Because we still have this flesh, right? We're not perfect, right? We're not holier than the next guy. We're on a journey, and we desperately need Jesus. And this is your first time to grace. If you're looking for a perfect church, let me just tell you, we're not a perfect church. We're sinners saved by grace. We're saved sinners. And we found some satisfaction, and, and sometimes we, we don't, We don't always live that day to day and we have to come back to services and moments like this and say, Lord, I I just want to drink again. Not to get saved again, but just to be reminded of what you've done for me, right? What a beautiful God we serve. Have you believed on Jesus Christ as your only Savior? Have you drunk of the water of life freely? Have you strayed from him? Come back. Just come back. There's, there's no better day in the world than right now, this moment. Come back to him. Whatever he's telling you to do, it's worth it. He'll satisfy you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the reality, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> what a hope. What a good God that we serve. What a, what a merciful God. And the gift of God, the the. the the gift that we don't pay for, we don't work for, we don't have to earn, the gift of God we simply receive is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All things new. Man. But there is a personal choice that has to be made. And maybe you felt the, the tone of the passage change like I did in verse number eight. But the fearful. The fearful. It's impossible for, for us to, to see all that God is offering us without realizing the flip side of the coin is there, there's a dire warning. There's a dire warning that all mankind need to heed. That you need to heed. If you're saved here, you need to look at this dire warning and realize, praise God what he saved me from. Not because you're perfect or you're better than someone else. Praise God he saved me from this. I don't deserve this like Brother Dennis prayed a moment ago. I don't deserve this. Praise God for, for, for the, the salvation that he's given me. But he says there, and look at verse number 21, but the fearful, those are the, the cowardly, those that are afraid to follow Jesus. Well, what happens? You know, I've been in this church all my life, and if I, if I listen to this, I'll have to break with some family tradition. You'd better break with family tradition then spend the rest of your eternity apart from God. And I told one man that was struggling with that, I said, don't think of it as leaving your family, think of it as following Jesus Christ. Set your eyes on Jesus Christ. And if that causes you to have to turn the other way from your family or from the way that you were raised, follow Jesus Christ. And I I can't underscore that more because... Again, there will be many people who spend a, a Christless eternity because they followed family. Follow Jesus. It doesn't have to turn you into you know, someone that's mean and rude at family get-togethers. Please don't be that, you know, that way. But the reality is, if we're following Jesus, he'll, he'll put love in our hearts towards our family. He'll, he'll change them too. Just keep following after him. So he says the fearful, those that are afraid to follow Jesus, the unbelieving. Well, I think we understand what that is. Those who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's not, as some religions say, he's a man that somehow somehow outwitted temptation and went to the cross as a man and died for us and, and as a man paid for our sins. No, he's the Son of God, fully man, fully, fully God, and he went to the cross in our place. It's the only way that he could pay for our sins. The Bible says that the unbelieving, those that refuse to believe on him, those are the ones that had their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. So John 3 and verse number 18, right after that most famous verse in the Bible, John 3 16, for God so loved the world, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And then in verse number 18, it says this. He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. I like the sound of that. Is not. There's no no gray area. There's no middle ground. I'm going to die, and then I go to some place that is kind of a holding tank until I prove my goodness, and then God will let me into heaven. No, that's not Bible. The Bible says he that believeth on him is not condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. None. Praise the Lord for that. So there's no condemnation. He says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Some people think, well, you know, I'm kind of living my life, and once I stand before the Lord, it all gets sorted out. You don't realize that actually not believing on Jesus Christ, you actually walk in condemnation right now. You are a breath away from hell friends i've witnessed to people i I, i've given my life to share the message of the gospel what i'm sharing right now with believers and unbelievers i've given my life to share this message and i fully i fully believe i i I 110 percent 200 percent believe what i'm telling i'm telling you based on the authority of scripture not based on me i'm i'm reading from the same bible that's open in front of you god says he that is does not believe is condemned already Jonathan Edwards preached a powerful sermon many, many years ago that shaped our country. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Does God love us? Absolutely. But his his holiness has been sinned against. And he says, those that are sinners against me, there is a penalty coming. There is a judgment day coming. And we're one breath away. Right now is the day of salvation. You need not wait. You should not wait. I beg you not to wait. He's condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What you do with Jesus is the single most important thing you do in this life. Not the career you're on, not the family that you're a part of, not the social circle you're a part of, not how much money is in your bank account. We're all kind of realizing that how much money is in the bank account and retirement accounts is kind of uncertain. The single most important thing that you could do is to be certain that Jesus Christ is your Savior, to believe on Him. He says the unbelieving, the abominable. I don't like the sound of that, but it's given over to disgusting immorality. We look around us and we look at some of the sin that goes on in our in the world. We're like, How can it be that awful? God says, I'll take care of it someday. They're all accountable to me. The murderers, the unlawful killing of another human life. I unashamedly say life begins at its conception and it ends at natural death. Unashamedly. That's not political, that's Bible. the reality is there is a world of murderous people in our country. But we can look at them. God says, listen, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered them already. So you don't have to be the person that pulls a trigger or pulls out a surgical device. You can hate your brother in your heart. And God says, that's that's murder. That needs to be forgiven at the cross. I'm thankful he does. Whoremongers, practicing fornication and all forms of sexual sin. Sorcerers, pagan spiritualists. We, we see such a rise of, of worship of Satan and paganism in our country. It's around the world. i, I can, been in several different places in the world and, and certainly have felt the ominous, the ominous sense of Satanism. Idolaters, those who worship a deity in and through material representations. That, you know, For us in America, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a dollar bill. It's a TV set. What, I mean, 101, how big, how big, man, so much goes to sitting down before the moving sports players and following everything, but I don't got time to go to church. Someone say amen, I'm sorry for getting, I'm sorry for getting on something, but the reality is we have our idols in America, and they're not little golden Buddhas. I've been in India where there was, there was plenty of literal idols. You go, we have, we, Satan's so clever. Now, I see more and more of that coming around. But the reality is most Americans uh, deal with, with, with idols that we, we say, these are all good. <laughs> idols. So much idolatry. We'll give account. The thing that's always struck me about this verse, and it says, in all liars... We even have an answer for that, as I already noted. Well, I just tell white lies. You show me in Scripture where God says white lies are okay and, and, and what's the opposite? <laughs> Lie. Deception is deception. God abhors it. All sin is sin. And the reality is we will give an account. Here's what I want you to catch about this. This is not a, an evaluation sheet that you, you check against somebody else. This is for you to realize, me, myself, I am a sinner before a holy God. God's standard is absolute perfection. And so he says, all of these shall have their part. Just like those that believe will have their, their inheritance in heaven, all those that refuse to believe will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Now somebody has said you you are born once, you die twice. Physically. And that second death in a place called hell. A separation. Death is a separation. A separation for all of eternity from God. Born twice, die once. I'm born physically. Born again, spiritually. When I place faith in Jesus Christ, as John 3 says, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. The reality is, You and I have this choice. God is not telling us this so that he can beat us down. He's saying, listen, this is my warning to you. You don't have to spend eternity there. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16 that hell was created for the devils and his angels. And all those who follow after him. All those who refuse to believe and submit themselves to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Some people have just tried to, um, to dismiss the idea of hell. Even in America, we see kind of a growing trend. There are 73% of Americans that, that believe in a heaven. A, a lesser degree believe in hell. 62% It's interesting. A growing, a growing sentiment in America is a belief in reincarnation. The reality is, in the 1944 verses found in the Gospels, Jesus spoke, I'm going to just, I'm going to kill something here. Jesus spoke more of heaven than he did of hell specifically. I know we always hear it, it makes for good preaching, but you know what Jesus wants you to be in heaven? Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I've come to prepare it for you. His work right now is to prepare heaven for you. My question is, are you going to be a part of that? Not based on your goodness, based on what he did for you at the cross through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And his his final declarations, listen, there's a lot of ways you can close out a book this size. His final declarations are to say, if you thirst, come drink of me freely, you'll be satisfied. So let's go over to Revelation chapter 22 and verses 16 and 17. Revelation 22, 16 and 17. What God's trying to do is save you from the worst thing that could happen to you. Why does God allow evil to happen? It's not. It's the result of man's sin. What God is trying to do and has been speaking through many years and has given you the word of God is say, I don't want the worst thing to happen to you and that would be an eternity apart from me in a place called hell. I don't want that to be. So in Revelation 22 and verse number 16, I, Jesus, how many of you have read letters in your Bible? On that. I Jesus. We're getting down to the end of the Bible. This is how Jesus closes it out. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify, to declare unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and I am the bright and morning star. He's the guiding light. He's he's what gives us direction in the night sky, in the darkness of this world, and the spirit in the bride. What's the spirit? The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that is convincing your heart right now of your sin, Jesus' righteousness, and of our accountability to God. Don't resist him. The Spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? The church. It's the bride of Christ. Those that have believed on him. The Spirit and the bride say, In concert with the King of Kings. In agreement with the King of Kings. The spirit and the bride say, come, let's read this together, come, let him, that is a thirst, come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely, there he is, once again, God says, at the conclusion of all scripture, he declares this invitation, come, come, now here's our invitation, if you've not yet received Jesus Christ and drank of that living water, today's the day. I can't force you. I'd I'd love it if I could flip a switch. But I can't. That's not me. My job is to deliver that message to you. I've delivered that message to you. I'm asking you to come to Jesus Christ by faith. I'm asking you to believe on Jesus Christ. And secondarily, I'm asking believers (laughs) to to kneel or to, to realize again what Jesus did for us and to continually come back. Come back once again and say, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Drink of the water of life freely. Drink again, not to be resaved. That's not necessary. His salvation is eternal. It's eternal life that he gives to us by, by faith in him. What he is, he is saying, just, just continually enjoy me. Enjoy that relationship. So that's my invitation to every believer here. But if you've not yet believed, I invite you. Drink of the water of life freely. It's there. It's there for the taking. Take of it. He wants to give it to you. Every head bowed, would you? In an attitude of prayer this morning, this is a sacred moment between you and God. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know where you are with God. I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. But the most important thing is that Jesus knows you. And he is inviting you to come and to take of the water of life. How do you do that? The Bible says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It starts with admitting that you're a sinner. I am a sinner before a holy God. I'm not comparing myself to anyone else, I personally am a sinner before God. I may not have done all the things that someone else has done, but I have sinned. I've at least told a lie. I, I am a sinner before a holy God. And I realize that the bad things that are happening in the world around me, they aren't a result of, of, of that holy God. They are a result of the sinfulness of man of which I am one. Starts with admitting that I'm a sinner, that Jesus Christ did go to the cross and paid the full payment of your sin. He died in your place, and the Bible says if you'll believe on Him, the Son of God, to take away your sins, to give you forgiveness of your sin, He'll save you. How many say, Pastor, today I have done that. I am I am certain that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven because I've placed faith alone in Jesus Christ. And you'd say with an upraised hand, I am certain that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. Amen. So many hands. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Those that raise the hands, I want to encourage you. You, you find satisfaction. You find continual satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some that can't raise their hands, I'd encourage you to call out to the Lord right now in your seat. Right now in your seat. I would call upon you. I urge you as 2 Corinthians says, call upon Jesus and he will save you. Paul said to the Philippian jailer, for whosoever, uh, those that believe on Jesus Christ shall be saved. They believe that He's the Son of God. They shall believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not might be, you shall be saved. Now my prayer can't save you, but if from your heart you call out to Jesus in a prayer like this, He will hear you and He will save you. I ask if you're, you're willing As someone who's not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, willing to call out to Him right now in this moment and place your faith and trust in Him alone. Not asking you to be perfect, not asking you to change your life, not asking you to become a member. I'm asking you to start a relationship with Jesus Christ by calling out to Him, expressing faith in Jesus Christ. You might pray, Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are God. I believe that you died for all of my sins and rose again. I confess right now to you that I am a sinner. And I ask you to be my personal Savior right now. I place 100% of my trust in you to come into my life give me new life and to take me to heaven someday. I accept your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for keeping this promise to me and answering my prayer. Still in this attitude of prayer, I wonder is there any here today is it Pastor, I, I have just called out to Jesus. From my heart to Him, not just praying a prayer, but from my heart to Him, I have called out to Jesus right now to save me. And I'm willing to testify of that with an upraised hand. Just I'm just looking around. I just want to see if I could rejoice with any here today. If that's you today. I have prayed, prayed that prayer. I've, I've called out to Jesus Christ. You just put your hand up and put it back down. Friends, how I encourage you. This is the most important thing. The most important thing you could do in this life. And it's a step of faith. The invitation is always open here, but I urge you. I urge you don't leave this place until you know for certain. Would you stand with me? I'm going to give time for anyone to pray. If you have a prayer need, when I give time, here's the altar, it's open. You can pray um, pray there. You can find a place to kneel. I don't just want to give time for believers. To respond to Jesus and just say thank you. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for saving me. Help me to always be satisfied in you. Right now as the music plays, find a place to pray, believers. If you yet need to be saved, I encourage you. I'll connect you with somebody. If you have some questions, I'll connect you with somebody. They can pray with you, answer any questions. We want to help you in this way. Right now, let's do pray all across the auditorium. Find a place to pray, believers. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit GraceKettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.